Well, good morning again to all of you watching online and through our app. We are privileged that you are joining us today. And uh, good morning to all of you in Quakertown. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been there with you. I miss you guys a ton. Uh, but I have enjoyed hanging out with all of you here in Sowerton these past two weeks, especially with our launch last week of our Sowerton initiative with section leaders. Uh, that is a way for us to get connected. And so if you uh, have not met your section leader, make sure you reach out and meet your section leader today. And in Quakertown, if you're looking at getting connected, make sure that you're finding out information about home groups. Well, we started a new series last week. We started a series where we're taking a look at the book of Daniel. And in this book, we are focusing on how do we stand out in a positive way when we don't fit in. And one of the characters in the book of Daniel that we're going to be looking at today is a king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is an actual figure in history. You can read about him outside of the Bible in ancient texts. We know he existed. He was a powerful ruler. He had an empire, and he was probably one of the most powerful people throughout our history. And what he would do, he was in charge of this, this empire of Babylon, and what he would do is he would conquer these other cities and these other countries, and then he would take the nobles and the young people, the people of influence, those of, of wealth, and he would take them out of those cities, and he would bring them back to Babylon, doing two things. He would cripple the people that he was leaving behind that he had conquered by taking those people of influence, and then he would indoctrinate those people into the culture of Babylon. And that's how he sustained his empire as it was going out and spreading out. And Daniel and his friends and some of the people with Daniel are part of that exile group. They were taken from their homeland and brought to Babylon. And what Charles said last week, it, it looks like Daniel seemingly had it all. And then he moves to a point where he seemingly loses it all. And the theme of Daniel that we gave last week was that in spite of appearances, God is in control. In spite of the way things may seem, God is in control. And what we need to understand today is the fact that God is in control can be a source of hope for us no matter what we are going through. It is a source of hope for us even when there is no hope. So today we're going to be talking about a dream. In this chapter, we're going to be talking about a dream. And dreams are kind of weird, right? Dreams are, are, are different. You ever try to explain a dream to someone? It doesn't usually make sense, right? Or, or, or you ever been the recipient of that? Sometimes I'm the recipient of my wife trying to explain dreams to me. And I get lost. I have no clue what's going on. In fact, you know, sometimes I get in trouble for what I did in the dream. Like she'll wake up and she says, you did not defend me. That unicorn took my lunch and you went to play basketball with him. And she's legitimately mad at me. And you think I'm exaggerating. You think I'm exaggerating, but I'm not. And contrary to most weeks, I actually got permission to talk about this. You see, many times when my wife tries to explain a dream to me, She's still asleep. <laughs> so in the middle of the night, she'll wake me up and start talking to me. And the good husband that I am, I recorded it. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to see a video. I did not get permission for that. I will give you my notes. So one night, this is what happens. 
December 14th, 2018, at 11.14 p.m., she has been sleeping for about a couple hours. This is what happens. She wakes up. Well, she doesn't wake up. She turns to me and says, did you get it? Me. Get what? Her. Oh, hi. (laughs) Me. Hello. (laughs) Her. You were supposed to talk to Sharon. Did you find it? Me. Find what? (laughs) Her. You were supposed to help me find it. Me. What, hun? (laughs) Her. The leprechaun. (laughs) And then she goes to sleep and conversation's over. Doesn't remember anything the next day. I have no clue what she was dreaming about. I have no clue what it meant. To this day, I don't know where that leprechaun is. But dreams are weird, right? They just, they're weird. Sometimes we have these weird dreams and we try to figure out what in the world was that about? And in the culture of Babylon, dreams were not just weird, they were important. In the culture of Babylon, the interpretation of a dream would oftentimes set about the trajectory of the king and his kingdom. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and he freaks out. And so we're going to do something today. We're going to read Daniel chapter 2. Okay, so there's different ways you can do that. You can take out your Bible and follow along. You can take out your phone or your app and go to the Bible app and read from there. You can take one of the Bibles we have in our Calvary Church campuses. If you don't own one, take it home. It's our gift to you. But here's what I invite you to do. I invite you just to sit and listen. We're going to read the entire chapter. And there's almost 50 verses. And it's a whole story. So I'm going to invite you just to sit and listen to the story. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants to dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house is turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. 
He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he may interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me power and wisdom. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret the dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the Gentiles, among the exiles from Judah, who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to interpret to me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, the mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretations that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was a dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. For iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes are partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes are partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. 
This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. So there's a lot there. It's a long story, but I think you need to get the whole story into order to understand what's going on. Because the problem is, is that if we're not careful, we can go down all of these different paths and rabbit trails and miss the overarching theme of the chapter. Let's not forget the theme of Daniel as a whole as we look at this chapter. In spite of appearances, God is in control. And in this chapter, we see a new layer. There are layers to this theme in Daniel of God being in control. And we see a new layer in this chapter of God being in control. And what happens is we start off the chapter with a dilemma. We start off the chapter with a problem. We start off the, the chapter with something goes wrong. The king has a bad dream and he can't figure it out. And again, in ancient times... In the ancient world, dreams were considered a significant medium for determining the future. The success of a king and his kingdom was oftentimes linked to the successful interpretation of a dream. So when a king has a weird or an unusual dream, the kingdom pays attention. But this is not where the dilemma occurs. The the dilemma occurs in verse 5. He calls in his advisors, yet he won't tell them the dream. He calls in his advisors, but he won't tell them what the dream is. He gives them an impossible task. No one can do what the king is asking. Look at the response that they have. In verse 11, what the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. And here's the problem. These advisors are the sorcerers, they're the magicians, they're the astrologers. They speak to the king on behalf of the gods. By this response, they are outing themselves. They are saying, we cannot hear this because the gods are the only ones who know and they're not here. And as a result, they are implying that they do not hear what the gods would tell them. They do not have the power to actually do what their job is supposed to do. And King Nebuchadnezzar gets furious. He's filled with rage. Fast forward that a little bit to the response of Daniel. Daniel is part of this group. He was not in the court when when this happened because we know that by when he asked this question of the commander. He's not in the court, but he's part of this group of advisors, these astrologers, these wise men. And Daniel tells the king, hold up, wait a second. You see, while the wise men of Babylon were right, they could not hear from the gods. Why? Because the gods were not real. The gods were not alive. Daniel knew 
that he had access to the one true God, and that access was prayer. Daniel's response when facing dilemma, Daniel's response when his life was ultimately threatened, was to turn to the one in the true role of authority and pray. He gathers together his friends, his community, and he says, Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Nebuchadnezzar is the one who made the decree. Nebuchadnezzar is the one who can actually stop the decree. That's not who Daniel and his friends plead for mercy from. They plead for mercy from the one who actually has the authority, the one in complete control. They go straight to the top. They face a dilemma, and they go straight to the one who has authority over everything. And if I'm honest with you, far too often, that's not my response. Just be a little bit vulnerable with you here right now. Far too often when I face a problem or a dilemma, whether it's financial, emotional, relational, health-wise, whatever, instead of turning to the one who is in authority, instead of turning to one who's in control, I turn to myself and I look at my own skill sets and I try to figure out how to fix it. And I do all of these things. And the problem is that that leads to frustration and anxiety because I'm not the one in control. I'm not the one in control. I'm not supposed to be in the captain's seat. And yet I sit there like I'm the one in authority. We are not in charge. And Daniel and his friends recognize who really is in charge, and they go straight to the one who's in control. How do we do that? Like when we're faced with a dilemma, that's hard to do. How do we do that? I think we do that by reminding us of some of the truths about the one who is in control. I think if we remind ourselves constantly about the truths of the one who is in control, it will help us when things seem out of control. And there are some truths about Jesus in this chapter that if we look at them, they will offer us hope even when things don't seem like they're going our way. So we start out with a dilemma. The king has a dream. He freaks out because he doesn't know what it means, and he calls his advisors in. No one can explain it because he won't tell them the dream. So he orders an execution. Daniel, in response to the dilemma, goes to the one with complete authority, who is in control. He goes to God, and God gives an answer. God gives an answer in the midst of the dilemma. And I need to pause for a moment and kind of do like a brief commercial break here, okay? We're going to pause. God, Daniel went to God in the midst of the dilemma, and he asked God, and God gave him an answer. And the answer that Daniel received was what he asked for. Daniel asked for something from God. That's what he received in response to his dilemma. That's not always the case. God's answer isn't always what we asked for. It is the right answer. It is the correct answer. It is the good answer. But it might not always be what we're thinking 
that we want. And the reason I say that is because I know for a fact that some of you have faced dilemmas and when you've cried out to God, the answer you received was not the one you were looking for. And if you want me to answer you, why is that the case? Why does Daniel get the answer that he wants and I do not? My answer is, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that God is in control. All I know is that he can answer any way he wants because he has complete authority. But this is what I also know, and this is what we will learn as we go on a little bit. So I ask you that if you are facing that, if you're saying, I did not get the answer I was looking for, I don't get it. So what? He's in control. Here's what I want you to know. He is a good God. And we will learn that as we go forward in this message. So I ask you just to hold on because he is a good God. Let's take a look at the answer that he gave Daniel. What does he give Daniel? He gives Daniel the dream and he gives Daniel what it means. And here's where we can kind of get into some trouble if we try to rush through something that we don't have enough time for. A lot of times people just focus on the dream and they focus on the different parts and they try to examine what each part means. And that can be a fascinating discussion because what this dream was, it was a, it was a prophetic dream. It was a dream about the future. And there's different kind of interpretations of that dream, and, and that can be a fascinating conversation, but that's not what we're talking about today. Today, we're not going to focus on the contents of the dream in regards to specific elements and specific details about the future. But we're going to focus on something else. Because what's important about this dream is that only God can reveal it. Only God knows the future. And the fact that only God knows it, the fact that it is an impossible task for anyone else and that only God can reveal it, for Daniel and his people, these exiles, the ones who are being oppressed, there is comfort in that. Because the fact that only God knows the future implies that he is the only one who can control history, past, present, and future. And again, the theme, in spite of how things appear, God is in control is a comfort to these exiles. So we're going to look at the dream very briefly about the statue, and we're going to look and say, okay, we look at the face, and we know that the golden face is Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylon Empire. How do we know that? It says it in Daniel 2. And we know that the rest of those symbolize kingdoms that have not yet occurred when Daniel is there. How do we know that? It says so in Daniel 2. This is where people begin to start thinking different things. And what happens is if you look at history, you can look at different parts of the kingdoms that are described in the statue and you can point to them. So I'm going to give you one. You may have a different one. One of them would be looking at the one part being Babylon, another one part being the Medo-Persian Empire, another part being the Greek Empire, and another part being the Roman Empire. You may have a different look on that, and that's a fascinating discussion. We can look at all the implications for that. But today, we're not going to focus on that. Today, we're going to focus on the main character of the dream. Because the main character of the dream is not the statue. There's truth to learn from the statue, but that's not the main character of the dream. The main character of the dream is the rock. The main character of the dream is the rock. And if we understand the rock, then we understand the statue, and we understand the whole point of the dream. 
So we're going to jump into the New Testament. We're going to look at the book of Matthew. The New Testament is the second part of the Bible. Matthew is a book that was written documenting the life of Jesus. And we're just going to look at an exchange that Jesus had where he was talking to some people. And it says in verse 42, Matthew 21, verse 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is actually talking of himself. He's talking about himself when he's referring to this stone. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. There's echoes of Daniel chapter 2 of this rock crushing the feet of the statue and crushing the kingdoms of men. Jesus is the rock. Jesus and his kingdom is the rock. And while Daniel does not see Jesus in his lifetime, while Daniel does not even know the name of Jesus, he knows the meaning of the rock. He knows the meaning of the rock. (laughs) And what that means for Daniel and his people is this. Circumstances and present situations may seem like they favor certain human authorities or kingdoms, but ultimately all kingdoms of men will be obliterated and the only lasting eternal kingdom that will be left is God's kingdom. Ultimately, everything that we build up in humanity, all the things we strive to build up, all the kingdoms that those who are for us or against us or ourselves that we build up will one day be wiped away. And all that will be left is the kingdom of the rock, God's kingdom. And this kingdom arrives in the birth of Jesus through what we celebrate at Christmas. It is sealed at the resurrection in what we celebrate at Easter. It continues today, and it will culminate in perfection when Jesus returns. And the hope of the rock that sustains Daniel and his exiles is the same hope that sustains us today. Jesus is still the rock, and his kingdom is the only one that will last. And the beauty of this kingdom is the way it exists. It exists in two stages. It exists in the already and the not yet. Jesus' kingdom exists in the not yet and that one day he will come back and culminate it to perfection. And we look forward to the not yet with hope. We look forward to the not yet with joy, with expectant hearts. It is the hope that carries us. But it is the already. It is the already. It is the already of Jesus being born and living a perfect life. It is the already of Jesus' death and resurrection. It is the already of him sending his Holy Spirit that empowers us, encourages us, and equips us to live out the life of the kingdom today. We live in a kingdom that is already and not yet. The answer given in Daniel chapter 2 points to the rock and his kingdom. And that is how we go through life, understanding who is in charge and who is in control. Because Daniel 2 brings us a dilemma at its beginning. An earthly king, a man, has a dream and is disturbed by it. He freaks out and orders an execution. In response to that, Daniel goes to the one with complete authority and prays. And he receives an answer. He has promised the rock. 
He has promised that the rock will come and his kingdom will never end. And in that answer, Daniel is given hope. And so are we. Because the rock is the king. The one true king. And the one true king is very different from King Nebuchadnezzar or any other king. It's one thing to understand that God is in control. But in order for that to bring comfort, in order to understand that this kingdom that will never fade will bring us comfort, the king has to be a good king. King Nebuchadnezzar was a ruthless king. In fact, when he was disturbed, when he was having dreams, he was willing to sacrifice the, life of, the lives of others to bring peace to his own heart. Jesus was not only willing, he sacrificed his own life to bring peace to the heart of others. If the point of Daniel 2 is despite how things appear, God is in control. If the point of Daniel 2 is that at some point, the kingdoms of this world, the, the kingdoms of man that we have built up all around us will one day be obliterated and that the only kingdom that will last will be the eternal kingdom of the rock, the kingdom of the one true King Jesus. If this is the point, the only way the truth can bring us hope and comfort during times of difficulty is if Jesus is a good king. And he is. And he loves you. You see, where the kings of this earth have been selfish, Jesus, the one true king, has been selfless. Where the kings of this earth have been arrogant, Jesus, the one true king, is humble, even unto death on the cross. Where the kings of this earth will one day fade away like chaff in a wind, Jesus' kingdom will last forever. And in Romans 8, we learn that his love for those in his kingdom will also last and never be stopped and that nothing can separate those in his kingdom from his love. This is the king. He is a good king. He is a powerful king. He's a king who loves us and he has complete authority. So when we face a dilemma, we need to turn to the one who is in control, who has complete authority, and know that when we receive the answer, the king that sends that answer is a good king, a loving king. We may not understand the answer. We may not even agree with it. But if we can understand that the answer comes from a king who loves us and who has complete authority, then there will be hope where there seems to be none. See, there's two things I would like us to do. The first is this. I know for a fact that some of you in this room and some of you in the room in Quakertown, I know for a fact, some of you are in a season where things are not what you would like 
You're in a season that seems to be out of control. You're in a season of pain, of heartbreak, of whatever it is. What you thought life was going to look like, it no longer looks that way. I ask you to cling to the hope that is offered to you. No matter how things appear, God is in control. He is in control. He is powerful. He is selfless. He is loving. And he has complete authority. And he's in control. I urge you to get out of the captain's seat and allow God to sit where he belongs. Secure in the hope that he is a good God. He is a good king. He loves you more than you can imagine. The second thing I want us to think about is this. There's a sharp difference between Jesus, the one true king, and the kings that are described in this statue. If we were to look back at history, if we were to look back at what this statue represents and all of the empires and all of the, the, the kingdoms of men that were built up, and we were to look at the way those kings acted, the way we as humanity have acted throughout history. There is a big difference between those kings and the one true king. There's a big difference between the greed and pain and ruthlessness that we have done throughout history and the self-sacrificing love of Jesus, our King. So my question today is, if there's such a difference between the kings of the statue and the king of the rock, which king do I resemble? Which king do I resemble? Am I not just doing what the statue did and try to build up all of the different kingdoms around me in my own life? Or am I living the kingdom life, the life of the one true king? Which do I resemble? Which king? Because depending how I answer that may determine for me just which king I'm actually daily following. Calvary Church, can we be a church of the kingdom of Jesus? The only kingdom that will last, the eternal kingdom, all else will fade away. Anything else that we can come up with as Calvary Church to kind of glorify ourselves and puff out our chests and look at will one day fade away like chaff in the wind. But the kingdom of the rock, the kingdom of Jesus, will never fade away. Which kingdom are we building? Which church will we be in which kingdom? Let's be a church in the kingdom of Jesus. And let's look like our king. Let's pray. God, we acknowledge that everything that we go through, anything that happens in this world, 
that you have complete authority over. And before we go any further, I, I ask that whoever is in this room who has hurt in their heart or, or pain and just questioning, like, if you're in charge, why is this happening to me? I ask you that you would just bring comfort right now. That you will remind whoever in this room needs to be reminded that you are in control, but not only that, that you are good and that you love them. And that despite how it feels, you are in control. God, I ask you to help us to live lives as people of the kingdom. Let us be a church of the kingdom. And let us look like our king. Bless everyone in this room. Fill them with just a deep awareness of your presence. Encourage equip and empower them. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.